You're listening to the Hound Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and today I've got Hal here, too. Howdy. Today we're going to talk about why you shouldn't listen to your adult students' feedback. Stay tuned. One, two, three. All right, before we dive into that, shameless plug time. Come to our website, houndsteveenglish.com. We've got really cool stuff, awesome materials, awesome games, ways to make your class not suck with your students. So go to houndsteveenglish.com and check out our free monthly membership. First month free, I guess. After that, you got to pay. I think that's right. That's right. That's right. Good stuff. All right. And this week, we should have another pretty awesome blog post. Last week, we published the, the really big Uno pack set, right? Seven different Uno. Right, yeah. Um... So you're set on that, and we're going to continue down that vein, just like these um, card decks that you can uh, review whatever you're teaching in class in, the, in a yeah, fun way. Yeah, definitely really, really great stuff there. Contrary to unpopular belief, they're very useful for <laughs> getting your kids to discuss different topics in class. So a lot of, a lot of different things you can use them for. And uh, we'll put all the links down below. All right, now our topic, why you shouldn't listen to your adult students' feedback. That might sound crazy to a lot of people, not listening to students' feedback, not listening to customers' feedback. But in our experience, especially since we've taught adult students both at public schools, universities, and even at our own academies, it seems to really be the case that adult students, for a few reasons that we'll get into a little bit later, like to talk a bunch of mess. And have really, really stressful lives, and the teacher is the person they like to kind of put that stress onto. They like to pass the buck on to you. And it's really tough to listen to their feedback because there might actually be something there that they're communicating that's not actually in their words. But I guess before we begin, we should really decide, you know, who are we talking about? Who are these adult students? And I think, for the most part, there are three different types of, of adult students, and it's not separated really according to age or gender or location, it's separated according to goals. There are students who are learning English for educational purposes, so they want to get into a great university, they want to get into a great graduate school, they, they want to do something along those lines. There are students who are learning English for their career, they need English for international trade, for example, or to be able to communicate with fellow engineers at the workplace. And there are students who need English for a hobby. Now that's something that we have a lot of experience with, and I think that's really who we're talking about when we say don't listen to student adult student feedback, because the other two actually have an independent goal that they're motivated to achieve, so they really, you know, if they realize they're not on the path towards that goal, and they're serious about English education, and they've experienced English education for a long time, they know what's up. But these hobbyists, I think, are who we're really talking about here. Yeah, I agree there. Um, you can usually align your interest or your teaching methods with someone that's doing it for educational or career purposes, but uh, I'd say we get like 80-90% of our adult students are, are um, learning for fun or because they think they sh they should, or it's the thing to do, and that yeah, that's where things get tricky. That's really important to say too. Learning for fun, so first they have to enjoy learning, 
If they're going to find English fun, they have to enjoy learning. And when they don't enjoy learning, you've really got to change how you run your classroom. Or else you're going to be stuck with a person who not only dislikes the class, but ends up causing other students in the classroom to dislike it as well. And then that reminds me just also of the idea of a hobby. So when you initially see something, you think, wow, man, that's really cool. You know, recently it was drones, right? Drones have been everywhere. Mm. And it's been a few years. I think it's been about four or five years. And everybody's, you know, you see it. Wow, that's really cool. I really want to get it. I really want to get one. And then your next step would be what? Maybe to search online. Well, actually, here, there are hogwans that teach you about drones, yeah, right? right. Uh, and for those who don't live in Korea and don't have much ESL experience, hagwon means academy, right? So there are these academies that teach you about drones. And when you sign up what you want to have what you want to experience is that really really fun 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 uh, flying about town with your drone you don't want to have a kind of I don't know lackluster boring I don't know how to really explain it but basically there's this idea of what you're going to get into when you have a hobby that's supposed to be this oh my god I'm going to be fluent I'm going to be talking to foreigners oh my god I'm going to be flipping this drone upside down and going through hoops immediately. But the reality of the situation is there's a process, and a lot of hobbyists don't want to go through that process. And with language learning, it's a long process. Yeah, I guess, is, is this the conflict? It's like learning <laughs> learning a second language in an environment where you're, where you're not going to be able to use it is perhaps the most difficult thing you could take on. It doesn't really, I guess, make sense for it to be a hobby. Like... Learning a second language as a child is, is difficult enough. Um, but wow. <laughs> I mean, Steve, you're learning a language now and you're in the country, right? And it's That's true, yeah. hard. Yeah, for our listeners out there, we're, we're obviously living here in Korea. We run our academies and our, and our site here in Korea. And I'm studying Korean and yeah, it's pretty difficult. It's, it's pretty difficult. I'm A2 level now. I'm hoping to be B1 by the end of the year. But uh, yeah, it's in a, if you're in another country, it's got to be so frustrating. So if I were to be in the United States learning English, and I think you told me about this the other day, how if I were to be in the United States, I probably wouldn't have any Korean friends because I would live mm, probably not around many Korean folks who want to speak Korean to me. You know, as you know, most people... Most immigrants in the United States, or most people in the United States, speak English. Um, then I, I wouldn't be really immersed in any type of media that's you know focused on Korea or the Korean language. And my only experience would be one or two hours in the classroom. So it would be Korean as a foreign language, right? Not Korean as a second language. And it would be really, really difficult. And I imagine really frustrating when you imagine what your goal is, which is to be fluent usually for everybody, unless they're a really mature person and realize that's unattainable. It's got to be really frustrating to have that experience of seeing a friend or seeing somebody in TV or seeing something that has... You know, that goal that you want, that, that English fluency. And doing your best to attain it, which is, all right, I'm going to go sign up for this class because this is the only way where I live that I can become great at English. And then realizing it's going to be a five-year process. It's And you're not going to leave class every day feeling like you've learned, you know, the next level. There are going to be, there are going to be a lot of difficult times and obstacles ahead of you. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just imagining in the U.S. Like, I imagine they kind of, they kind of have it down. Like, they set your expectations. Like, this is a class just for fun. And if you're if you're actually trying to learn Korean, then they probably have like a daily course. Um, but it's kind of still the wild west here, I think, with the adult ESL um, market. I think there's a lot of confusion. People, you know, first of all, can't dis can't discern even between those three goals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you have students with wild expectations, and then you just have no matter how real no no matter how well they try to manage their expectations for class, you end up with students with great disappointments and you have to wonder how does that manifest itself and I think I think we can really talk about why or where that feedback comes from so the whole purpose behind what we're talking about is you know you often experience negative feedback or critical feedback from students but if you're staying in the loop with EFL education if you're you know, really lesson planning and working hard on your materials before every class. If you're talking to your peers in the teaching community, if you're if you're opening yourself up to criticism to your peers in the community, then you really should be mostly set on your classes. And I've experienced whenever I open up myself to criticism to the students, I say, "Okay, guys, why don't you tell me how do you feel about class or what do you want to do next time." I expected really mature responses from my adult students, and the only people that gave me these mature responses were these business students or university students who were trying to get into a graduate program or trying to study abroad. The hobbyists gave me some real crazy answers. <laughs> these hobbyists would men mention crazy stuff, like so. They would they would mention things that they've seen on blogs and. And the blogs, at least over here, are folks who really don't don't have too much experience with education or English education. And that would be, a lot of the opinions would come at me. And I know this might sound weird to our Western audience, you know. Uh, we're, I don't want to say elite, like I don't want to sound elitist <laughs> is the problem. <laughs> That's a big issue. I don't want to sound elitist. But, you know, the reality is teaching ESL abroad, you're going to end up in places that are either developing mm -hmm. or were recently developed. And there are going to be parts of those cultures and parts of society that are still catching up. And one of the big things is, unless you're in a fairly affluent part, at least where we live, unless you're in a fairly affluent part, the education system is very much behind. So I would imagine that except for the pockets of really great education systems or, or public systems. And those pockets are huge, right? Seoul's got like 20 million people in the metro area. But except for those pockets, when you're in the outskirts, you're dealing with something that's like 30 years behind. And it's not, it's 30, 30 years behind here in Korea. Was, you know, that was world's different. And so when I'm teaching those adults, and those adults are my hobbyists, it's almost like they're telling me, they're giving me opinions and they're giving me feedback that's based on like what a soothsayer would say like oh my mom said or you know this person said mm -hmm. if you teach me in the light of the full moon I'm going to be really good at English that's the equivalent of what I hear from these students 
And I can give some direct examples, but yeah. that's how it feels. Um, and what, what I'm thinking of, what I remember as far as feedback is, uh, I just remember them constantly comparing us. So not even getting feedback, they just be like, you know, oh, I prefer Steve teacher. I like, you know, or, you know, I uh, prefer yeah. Hal teacher, Andrew teacher, and you know, he does this better or this better, and it's just kind of <laughs> odd. The this idea of finding a star teacher or a a teacher you like, it's not doesn't have anything to do with learning English. It's um, it's really yeah. So it's really wrapped up in a lot of stuff like that. That's a really great point. I forgot about that. So there's a really big difference between being a public school teacher and then being a private teacher. So whether you work in an academy or you own your own academy or whether you tutor, at the public school, most people are stuck with you. They don't really have a choice. And to a certain extent, that's true at university as well. In the private system, they get to choose. And they don't choose based on their <laughs> the results of their education. They choose on how they feel in that moment with that person. And so you you really end up with a lot of charismatic teachers and a lot of teachers that use most of the class time just to chat and tease and and not necessarily flirt, but like flirting type behavior to make the students like you. I, I don't really know what that would be called except for maybe teasing and, and messing around with the students. And you end up with a lot of professional teachers that do that. And they've got really happy students and it's really weird being an ethical teacher and trying to and being really obsessed and worried about the results that you're getting from these students and then they don't really care they just they care that how you know what how teacher <laughs> wore a really nice shirt the other day and you looked so much like a teacher steve you're wearing a you're wearing that same sweater from yesterday you know what how's the better teacher and there's certainly times when conversations have happened where they did compare us and at these private institutes they get to choose right so they they tried to choose between Hal or I and they would choose Hal because he was better dressed or they would choose Hal because he taught uh, idioms better or in their mind that you taught him better but obviously we're we yeah. imagine that we're both pretty comparable in some ways at least in like the uh, the results we get from the students and it's just weird that, that was you know that definitely caused us some problems in the beginning that was like stressful hearing that type of feedback because we try to address it right you try to make the students happy you try to address it but the feedback never mm -hmm. stops like this weird comparing feedback never stops so you would imagine after you listen to that and you try to fix the the problem that would be we'd move on to the next topic but they would find another way to compare us that was not new not interesting just basically on the same thread but from the opposite end so next week they'd like me over you dude and there's no there's no reason to waste time thinking about that you know, right it actually pulls really you away from class. the relevant issues so yeah well, that's a great point. I, I forgot that they compared us all the time. I think there's also, and I, I very messily tried to address it before, but the adults are really super misinformed, right? So 
I was trying to be super tactful before when I was talking about it. I don't think I successfully was, so apologies to anybody who I, I riled up. But especially here, there are some old, old, dumb opinions about education. And so you'll have students come in who, very honestly, um, if you're not wearing a suit, don't like you. Don't think it's a good class. Image matters a lot here. And it's not just like something that's oppressed, like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't care about this. It's my subconscious working against me just because this person's well-dressed or looks nice. I shouldn't think that they're better at their yeah. job. No, it's at the forefront. It's like, this person looks like a teacher. They must be good. This person doesn't look like a teacher. You know, looking like a teacher means wearing a suit and being thin and being well-groomed. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that a ton, and that type of feedback from people from adult students, which I've had to ignore, because <laughs> if you guys have looked at our logo at all, I'm a short, fat, bearded man who likes to wear you dress nicer than I do. A buttoned-up shirt with shorts. You know, I got, I thought I was fly. You know, people <laughs> in my past have told me you dress really nice, dude, but <laughs> not for a teacher. Um, what? And that, but that's like a real yeah, I mean, opinion, right? Like it. What it is, wear, I mean, because that is the way it works here. here. There are tons of other misinformed opinions as well. So, for one, for example, is uh, the idea of that basically class time should just be all all input. So the teacher should just stand at the board lecturing. And so, what makes students really uncomfortable is communicating with you because they're afraid to make a mistake, right? And depending on where you live. You know, there might be a cultural reason that they're scared to make a mistake. Their peers might just ridicule them to no end. So, you know, it's especially true in East Asian countries. The peers really like to maintain rank and file in classroom. And there are many different ways they do that. And one of the ways is who's most proficient at this topic. So the kids that are, are you know, anywhere below the first and second place in the class for English ability don't want to even open their mouths and that's true with the adults as well they really don't want to be judged by their peers in the classroom so I think that's the reason behind it but they'll just come and and you know want more and more input or they want the teacher to lecture more and more and more and then on the opposite end of that you'll hear from the very same students that you know I'm not I'm not getting enough talking time in class <laughs> And it's just these weird, weird, weird uh, oxymoronic experiences that that I just can't explain. It's it's just like again, it's illogical. Like it will, the feedback will never, never actually make sense. You're dealing with something else there. You're dealing with like a fragile ego. Ego. I mean, you're dealing with a fragile ego. You're dealing with. Um, you know, somebody who's uh, definitely afraid. Of yeah, if I can try to weird, put that under stuff an there. umbrella. Um, I don't know, and this might sound like a strange distinction if you if you haven't been a teacher, but I think it's like the difference between learning and feeling like you're learning, which may sound crazy, but that's the feedback they're going to give you. They want to feel yeah. like they're learning. So, for example, they want to finish your class and they've memorized 50 words and they want to do like listen and repeat and maybe they want to be able they want to memorize a two-minute speech and then 
they leave that they feel like they've learned and that's all they care about and that's what their feedback is based on they don't actually care about learning which is yeah which is talking and communicating unfortunately with the with the language learning so So, yeah, that's a really great way to put it. That's basically what you're after all the time, or what the students are after all the time. It's that feeling that, you know what, I've successfully learned something today. And you would think that they would be able to honestly judge themselves based on that. So that you would think that successfully learning how to use the present perfect simple, have you ever, yes I have, no I haven't, would make them feel like they've learned something. So if they're able to use that in a communication or in a conversation with you, they should be really happy, right? But that's not the case to a lot of it. Like, they don't recognize speaking improvement or changes in their speaking ability because they, well, yeah, how and can they're they judge like, it? They're, they don't really Oh, know. I've studied this. We learned this it. last week. It's an incredibly complex uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, tense structure based on time that they don't yeah. even have a concept of in this country. And they're like, why are we studying this again, teacher? We learned this last week. That's, that's, yeah, you touched upon another really good point. There's like, there's some sense of, I've seen it before, so I know it. Or there's, there's some type of, of idea that you shouldn't practice it. And, and we all know the model, like when you're studying teaching there's a little graph that they show you that says oh it takes at least five times of learning a topic before you actually have a grasp of it and that's especially true for language you can't just introduce present simple to an adult student and then that's it and then to imagine that that first 50 minute class is enough is even wilder so if you if you teach them for one hour the student will think this one hour class is enough that's that's enough and you really have to manage their expectations that no you've got to use this and repeat it and repeat it for the rest of your life or else you're gonna make some mistakes I don't know how many times like you said an adult students come up to me with disappointment that oh why are we doing present simple today why are, why is today's lesson about does does he third person singular questions the present simple and well, there's, there's a reason for this I mean you can't you, you can't just ignore what you've what you've studied once for the rest of your life this is gonna come up time and time again and if you really want to know why it's because there are you know four or five six different rules for this particular verb tense and you've learned one you've learned it for habits but there's you know, general truths, permanent situations, uh, schedules, narrating a story. There are many rules to this, and it's it's interesting that they would imagine that they should question the teacher or, or doubt the teacher. But it's really just you know they they they're very particular about feeling like they've learned, and they don't feel like they've really learned if they're seeing is that what it is? Is the it same just form a again, even if it has it from about? Eating learning because only math and language are like that where you have to learn everything and then know it and you've got to keep building on it and you can't move from like chapter one to chapter two or you can't skip around you can't like you have to build the entire thing and maybe 
you know, they're not coming in and realizing that. Like, you've got to memorize all the underlying structure continuously. For sure, and I think, I think that's definitely the case. Yeah. And it really just all ties into that weird expectation, right? So it all ties into the fact that their friend's boyfriend speaks really great English. And they're embarrassed and they think, man, I remember when I was in high school, I was pretty good. I really let that go, didn't I? I've got to gotta get back to it. And so they hop into the class, but now they're an adult. They're accountable for their own results, really. They, and it's hard to be accountable for your own results. I am a failing Korean language student. And it's it's tough to like make the time. It's much easier to, to complain, to give negative feedback. But that's just as a teacher, you yeah. should never listen right. to that. Right? Uh, yeah. Because it's going to go bring us, brings us back to the point, I guess. It's like when to, when not, how much to listen, when to listen, and how to handle all that negative feedback. Yeah, I guess never listen to your adult students' feedback is very hyperbolic, right? So that obviously isn't the case. You should definitely care if your students say your classroom smells bad or if they're having serious issues with the language. But for the most part, in our experience, the adult students just like to complain. And they, they feel unhappy about X, they feel unhappy about Y. And we'll talk about this probably in a future podcast. If they're a little bit touched, if they're a little bit crazy, they feel unhappy about outside situations at home or with friends. And they they take it out on you. And I think you, you mentioned this the other day. Is you got to think about who is coming to you to learn ESL as an adult and as a hobbyist. You've really got to think about it. We've had some really great people come through our academies that were that had really valid reasons. Oh, my daughter's marrying an American. I need to learn English. I want to travel abroad. I need to learn English. But these other hobbyists, um, maybe they have an English stream. That's great. But sometimes the fact that they have this English stream, like we said, I want to be, I want to be 175 pounds and have a six-pack. But I probably don't want to do the hard work to get there. And when they don't want to do the hard work to get there, their number one enemy, their number one target for blame is going to be that teacher. And then, yeah, at that point, you just really don't want to listen to that negative feedback because it's just going to affect your class and it's going to affect you as an individual. There's no point in listening to that. There's nothing that can make that person happy. And for the most part, I think most feedback, if you're going about your class the right way, is useless in that sense, that it's it's going to be a lot of negativity from misinformed people or people with the wrong expectations about class, and they're just unhappy for some reason. They have this dream, they don't want to work hard for it, and they need somebody to blame. Obviously, they would be fluent at English if it wasn't for you. So that's why I really would say, for the most part, don't listen. Unless they're saying, bro, you're Yeah, what we're saying, right, is gross. ignore you the, really for the most part, the 90% hobbyist. But the, the students that you have that are learning for educational purposes or for their careers, yeah. definitely, you know, listen to that and, you know, get a consensus and you can, you'll be able to 
put together that information in a meaningful way on how to adapt or change our class and become successful. But the hobbyists are just going to be all over the place. You're going to hear everything and it's going to be really hard to come up with something meaningful from that that you can integrate into a class to solve, uh, to make a successful class as a whole. For sure, and I think we've been generally talking about teachers who teach adult ESL students. But specifically, if I could just make a quick comment on some of these people who are either private teachers tutoring on their own time or perhaps study room or academy owners in a foreign country, that is stressful to teach adult students and to try and build a reputation and build a business and build rapport only to discover these weird weird complaints that you can't really address properly and when you do try to address them another complaint comes out of left field that seems equally nonsensical and for those folks out there because I know we have a lot of online ESL teachers that listen to us and we've got plenty of plenty of folks who are hopping around Asia and Europe teaching um, so really guys that that could be really stressful when you've got income goals and you're trying to build long, healthy relationships with adult students, and you can't. And you're, you're going about everything the right way, you're building your business the right way, you're building up your referral base the right way, but you know, you teach Patty on, on Wednesdays at seven o'clock, that's a really lucrative time period that you've given to this customer, and you imagine that you'll be able to build a, a really great section of your time there, and you uh, maybe, I'll add some students at 8 and 9 o'clock because this is really great for me. And then you get, you know, after week 1, 2, 3, you start getting these weird complaints. Oh, you know, I'm not happy with my progress so far. Oh, I thought be, I went to the store and there was a foreigner there. There was an American man there and I wasn't able to talk to him. Uh, why am I learning English? Why can't I talk to him? You'll get stuff like that. And, and after a while, that student will stop appearing or start canceling start flaking on you and then you'll be left without that student because they'll quit and you'll be wondering how you could have addressed it and I just like to tell everybody there's not much you can do I mean we have had academies that were pretty massive with adult students in in our our parts of Korea where we lived we had the biggest adult academies in Dongducheon and Weijinbu which for you guys who are don't know where those are. That's a city of 100,000 people and a city of 300,000 people, I think. We did pretty good. But we wouldn't do much better than you guys because we had the same complaints. And the really important thing is, yeah, it's going to be stressful, but you got to try and just take take respite in the fact that this is going to happen anyway. Like, these hobbyists are going to torture you anyway. So don't actually think about these issues. Don't actually let it bother you. Just ignore it. And try to find more reliable customers elsewhere. That's why so many people try and focus on business students or students who are traveling abroad or students who are about to enter graduate school because those are serious students. And I know we'd all like to be nice to everybody and you know help people achieve their dreams, but realistically, after so many negative experiences with hobbyists, you have to realize that this is probably not good for me. This is taking a toll on me. I've got to find more 
mentally healthy students yeah. or more what would you uh, say or less toxic students the lad that last word everybody would love to help oh i was saying that you should you you, you everybody would love to help people and i think that's something that new student new teachers and, and you know young people in general struggle with you know we always want to help people and so you see these people or these potential students or these stu- adult students who say oh I have a dream I want to be fluent in English and you're like man I'll help you let's do this together but they're also the same students who are going to be the most toxic for you and it's not good for your mental health it's not good for your day to day because they're just pouring on negative emotions onto you that really don't amount to much it's just the students frustrated that the, they themselves won't learn English or won't have the willpower to sit down and study properly or communicate with people properly to build up those skills and they just want to vent their frustrations to somebody but as a teacher if you're a good teacher you care about your students you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about how you can solve these problems for these people but really these people don't have a problem their only problem is themselves but you should ignore that so right. what I was saying was that's why so many people don't accept low-level adult students or they don't accept so many hobbyist adult students. And even though you might want to help everybody, for your own sanity, you should ignore many of these adult hobbyist students if you can. Now, if you're a strong-minded individual who's able to ignore it all, Go wild. Go ahead and accept these adult students who will quit after three, six, nine months. But for the other folks who are really having a hard time with it, yeah, and yeah, don't, if you're in don't accept them. Just and, uh, uh, try to avoid that. You can just take a look around stuff. here, and there are no adult schools. They're all children, um, because what we're saying is is true. It's just uh, the reality. Yeah. So, I guess that might be it for us today. Thanks for listening to our ramble. It was a, a fun jot down the uh, yield lane. So, just to remind you, don't listen to your adult student feedback is our clickbaity title of this episode. But really what it means is, besides your business students and the students who need English for adult education, so graduate school or, or something like that, you really want to try and avoid adult ESL hobbyists because they're taxing, they'll quit after a while and just like me whenever I fail at my New Year's resolution to lose weight, I'm going to find somebody to blame I'm going to blame my mom because that one random that one random day, January 12th she bought a chocolate cake for me and you know what, because I ate chocolate cake on January 12th, that's the reason the rest of the year is in the dumpster of me eating junk food you know, that's why I didn't lose weight that year so they're just gonna, there's going to be somebody they need to blame for not achieving their result, and they're going to be at this for a while. So just try to avoid that if you can, um, because if it does get to you, it's going to be a problem. If you uh, if you're just good, if you don't mind it, then carry on. But <laughs> take it easy. Don't pay attention to it. All right, playboys. I'll catch you later. <laughs>